I see uh, folks filing in here, so uh, welcome to Colin Shots. Welcome back to Colin Shots. Uh, I'm Seth Partnow. I am joined today by the man, the myth, <laughs> the, the, the not uh, the not Thunder Mifflin executive, uh, John Krasinski of The Athletic, to talk about the Timberwolves. Uh, John, how are you doing today? Doing good, Seth. Man, it's been uh, it's been a nice process. Speaking of man and myth, to like get onto this show, it's been uh, <laughs> it's been an adventure. I mean, you know, getting an audience with uh, Joe Biden's a little bit easier than oh. than with you right now. So, uh, so congratulations on your success. <laughs> so we, we kept trying to book one for last week, but last week I was on the uh, return from Vegas road trip with the family, so we uh, mm-hmm. we struggled. But here we are. Um, and thank you again for joining me. Uh, I guess yeah. the, 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 there's only really one place to to uh, to, to start with the uh, the Timberwolves offseason, and that's the uh, the the Eric Pascal signing. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. Huge, huge news that everyone is going to be talking about. I think a former Jazz member, right? And so yeah. um, uh, yeah, again, was... former. Yeah, exactly. Another yeah. another another former Jazz uh, player to join the uh, Timberwolves this summer. Uh, obviously, jokes aside, the Rudy Gobert deal has has probably been one of the talks of the NBA offseason. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, you, you and I both were were in Vegas, right? And um, it, it's funny, like being covering this team for as long as I have. Um, in general, the unless it's like a major dysfunction, like the Jimmy Butler situation, or like the Gerson Rosas firing, or things like that, you don't really ever see the Timberwolves kind of in the, 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 the zeitgeist of the NBA. And really, like, the only two things that executives, agents, coaches, players wanted to talk about out there, um, you know, was, you know, Kevin Durant and Rudy Gobert. And, I mean, there's people who agree with the Gobert trade and, and, and the acquisition. There's people who don't agree with it. But, um it's impossible to kind of ignore the Timberwolves right now. Just they have made like the biggest splash move probably of, of this off season so far. And, and so to just kind of get people's differing opinions and, and to feel like the Timberwolves at the center of the conversation, like that was, that's, you know, very unexpected and, um, and pretty cool actually. So there's a number of different ways to go here. I feel like maybe just just to, to deal with it and put it aside, uh, I, the there's this, this this undercurrent of of it seems like teams are mad. Yeah, the Royals traded so many picks. Yeah, for 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 Gobert. What do you what do you make of that? Is that just sort of like, well, business is harder now, or is there is there any meat to that comparison, or is it just you know? When, when given anonymous forums, people are going to bench. Yeah, you know, it, it's been interesting. Um, you know, I, I do think that it has the potential, you know, for the package that the Timberwolves offered and paid for Rudy Gobert was significant. Um, and maybe even more than you would quote-unquote expect that a team would have to pay to get Rudy Gobert um, and and that has, I think, had an effect, perhaps, on the Kevin Durant conversations with other teams, um, you know, um, whoever it is. It's like, look, if you know, if the if the Jazz got this for Rudy Gobert, uh, the the Nets have to get X for 
Kevin Durant. And maybe that does make it a little more complicated for some other teams to do some of these deals. But the Timberwolves are not beholden to anybody, um, you know, in terms of, you know, what they have to do or what they have to think about in terms of setting the market. Like they have to get things that they believe are, are really going to help them. And, you know, there are certainly people out there who, who maybe doubt that Rudy Gobert is quote unquote worth what the Timberwolves paid. But I mean, when you look at it from their perspective, they have a young core that they really like that is really talented offensively. And the reason that they lost to Memphis in the playoffs was because they got hammered on the boards and they struggled to protect the rim. Well, they just went out and got the, the best player at both of those things. And um, I do think that there is sort of a, a group think in the NBA. Um, and, and so when a team does something that is unconventional, uh, then it might make teams mad that or, or like skeptical because, oh, that's not going to work because, you know, we're not doing that. And, um, and I, I think this has a chance to be incredibly successful. And, and I, I like the fit a lot better than, a, than some people do. And so I, I just don't think that the Timberwolves have to apologize for going out and getting a player. Um, finally, on this, just to, to wrap up this long winded answer. Like, here's the other thing that that maybe people don't recognize when, you know, and we talk about it all the time in the league, but we're not applying it here. It's that the the Timberwolves reside in Minnesota. That is not a glamour market. As much as I love it, I'm from here. uh, I'm raising a family here. It's great. But like, um, so the, the pool of star players in the NBA who are A, available is very small and B want to be in Minnesota and, and are open to playing here is almost is minuscule. There's only a few that you could go out and get Rudy Gobert gave indications that he was very open to this move and wanted to come here and wanted to, to play with Carl Anthony towns and Chris Finch and, and, and go win games. So they found a, an elite player that wants to be in Minnesota that is under contract for another four years. If they didn't make this deal, what other player could they go get that checks all of those boxes? That's, that's to me like an underrated part of this. They have to go get guys who want to be here. You could go try and get Durant, but is he going to want to be here in, in six months? Is Kyrie Irving going to want to be here in two months? Who knows? So like all of that conspires to, for me to say like, look, they found somebody who they think addresses a lot of their weaknesses, who wants to be here, and maybe they did overpay a little bit, but that's what you have to do in Minnesota to make something happen. Oh, we'll get to some questions in a second. Um, I just, like, this is, this is the way I've been, the, the question, the pushback, I guess, against, oh, they gave up too much. Um, mm-hmm. The NBA standard since Anthony Davis or Paul George, and certainly carrying through to Drew Holiday, and you know other trades, um, you know whether it's, it's Harden or whoever else, for acquiring a top twenty-five-ish player. And I think that, I, look, I'm I'm probably higher than median um, amongst the NBA commentary and how where I think Gobert resides amongst the NBA firmament. But I think a top twenty-five player is bare minimum of 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 where he is. Like the the trade price for that in the last five years has been give me all you got. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And that and yeah. it just and it just so happened that, you know, if the Wolves had had four picks unencumbered to trade, that's what it would have been, but they had five. So it so that's sort of how it works, right? For sure. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I've talked to Timberwolves people about this in terms of how they went about, you know, kind of trying to get a deal done. And um, number one is, you know, it, it was put to me and I, I think I believe this for the most part. It's like, you know, there a lot of teams would pay, you know, multiple four picks or, or more for established stars on um, long-term contracts, but you just can't get a hold of them. So maybe it's Jamal Murray. Maybe it's, uh, you know, maybe it's Donovan Mitchell. Maybe it's uh, Zach Levine. Maybe it's, you know, all, all these other te- If the Chicago well, Bulls said... better player than all those guys. Way better, right. Yes, yeah. exactly. And so, like, that's what they look at and they say, we got, we, we, we were able to go out and get, and that's what they really believe that Gobert is, is much higher than top 25 in their estimation, that... They think it's he's easily inside the top twenty, and you could probably make a case for the top fifteen from them in terms of the way that he impacts winning. Now, the second part of that is that I think that you know people look at what he did in Utah and and kind of how they sort of flamed out in the playoffs and um, and yes, like I you know some of the efficiency numbers with the defensive efficiency and things fell off in the playoffs against smaller teams, but. The Timberwolves believe that they have more talent around Rudy Gobert than at any point that he's ever had in Utah. And so as much as Rudy Gobert is going to help them cover up their weaknesses, they can help cover up his weaknesses with Jaden McDaniels and Anthony Edwards and 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 uh, Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell, all these players that, that kind of fit together in a different way than maybe he had in Utah. And so... There's an ability to for him to be more effective offensively, and maybe to have more help defensively, so he won't have to cover the entire half court, um, and and maybe end up looking a little worse than he actually is because he just you know was playing with turnstiles on the perimeter like he did in Utah for for so long. Well, well, let's uh, we'll take a question and then get get back to that point. I do uh, the first two players you mentioned there uh, defensively. Um, are possibly more complimentary than the last two, latter two, but we'll get we'll get to that in a second. Uh, Tyler's been waiting patiently. Tyler, uh, you want to unmute and uh, got a question for John or myself? Can you hear me all right? Yep, got you. Got okay, you perfect. So, yep, we uh, Woj just tweeted out that the Minnesota Timberwolves signed Eric Pascal. If I pronounce that right. Uh, <laughs> How do you yeah. think just he fits on this Timberwolves team and how do they accommodate for him since they were already at 15 roster spots? Is it yeah. going to be a competition or is someone getting cut? Is there a trade? Um, no, well, I would say, so what we have to figure out, I know that they have been having conversations with Eric Pascal about a couple of different options. One is a non-guaranteed you know, standard deal to come to camp and compete for a spot. Um, the other is it could be a two-way deal. I'm not sure on that part yet. They have one open two-way spot. And so I'm trying to kind of figure that out on the fly as well. But, um, either way, yes, you know, it's going to be not, at at minimum, it's going to be, or at maximum, I should say, he's going to get a non-guaranteed deal to come in and compete with Nathan Knight and 
with several other players for um, for the last roster spot for the season. And at minimum, maybe he gets it. Maybe it turns into a two way deal, I, and I he, he's he sticks around that way. Is he I, not? not? I do not believe he's eligible for two way. This will be his fourth season. So okay, I, okay, I think, yeah. I think it's, it, it's more. It's either. A, it's either so. It's more likely either, a, a, or it has to be either like a camp deal, which a lot of yeah. the signings that get announced now are. Oh, they signed him for a minimum, which is guaranteed for fifty thousand dollars to come to camp and, and. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. So the bottom line is, is like, could he help a little bit? Yeah. He may. He may. Like he's a hardworking dude. He's productive when you when you get him some minutes, and he's done some things in the NBA, but. Um, we're talking about the 14th or 15th man on the roster at best. And so is he going to factor in majorly, oh, you know, unless they have injuries or other things, probably not. And, and I'm wrong, by the know, way, he's fourth year players are eligible. I, at one so point, there you go. Yeah, that's yeah. I knew that there were discussions with him about a two way. So, um, so, uh, so yeah, either way, I mean, you know, he, he's a fringe player for them and, but, but. You know, when you're talking about, you know, those end of the bench spots, I mean, that he's a really nice player to have in the mix there because he has done some things in the NBA. He has proven to be helpful in certain situations. And that's kind of what you're looking for, especially for a team that wants to build as much depth as they can after trading so many things for Rudy Gobert. It's nice to have a, a, a guy like him in the mix, but um, I think that he will probably be fighting with Nathan Knight for that last spot. And I know that Nathan Knight is very well thought of within the Wolves organization. So um, it'll be a pretty good competition in camp for that spot. Um, obviously he won't, you know, see a lot of minutes, but are, do you know if he's a good, like small ball, small ball five perimeter defender type? Cause there's been questions with Gobert, fair or not, where it's like, okay, what if we stretch the field against him? Is Pascal someone you can maybe sub in and be like, okay, for like the last couple of minutes, just, uh, you know, guard the perimeter? Well, can he maybe do some of that stuff? Yeah, possibly, but there's no possible way that he's like the blanket, um, you know, contingency plan for if Gobert, if they struggle against small ball in the, in the playoffs, if, if it's if they get to a point where, you know, it's Eric Pascal um, on the floor in the closing minutes of the fourth quarter, you're in trouble. So um, I, you know, it I, I I I wouldn't put a whole lot of eggs in that basket. I mean, they're going to have to make other adjustments. My if they have to go smaller, they'll put Towns at the five, and um, and you know maybe it's Kyle Anderson at yeah, the four maybe was, uh, and, and like that. I would think small ball five might be like Kyle Anderson is probably the yeah like a Kyle Anderson Jaden McDaniels four five is probably like their super small ball option right and and that implies that both Towns and Gobert are off the floor right. and like that's not that's, that's just never going to happen so that's you know, um, that's that's six that's two thirds that's two thirds of your payroll on the <laughs> if you're exactly. if you're at that point something has probably gone wrong um, very wrong I think that is uh, Tyler thanks for the question I think that is a good segue though to. I think he's teed us up perfectly to, to you know, to, to hit on the point of, you know, uh, I, I've, anyone who's, who's listened or followed me for a long time knows that I think that the uh, Gobert's, quote, deep, quote, defensive playoff struggles have been far more about the players in front of him than Gobert himself. Um, and I don't think the Wolves have perfect answers there. I think that including Pat Beverly in the trade, frankly, like, 
it, it does raise some questions. I think I think Anthony Edwards, Jane McDaniels are are going to be better perimeter defenders than basically anyone he he played with in the last couple of years in Utah. Um, but Towns at the four and Russell at the point. I think there are some questions there about about being sure. able to contain the ball. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I think that they will they they will have to make adjustments and basically, you know, part of this model is leaning on Towns to continue to show improvement defensively like he did last year. Now, yes, he will be out on the floor a little bit more and then D'Angelo Russell they're going to need to get, you know, higher quality consistency from him defensively as well. Um, but I do think that they believe that, you know, having Towns and Gobert together and being able to kind of cover the backside for each other is going to give them more optionality uh, for if there if there are a leak or two, if there is a leak or two on the perimeter to get them going. But um, uh, they're going to have to be a little creative with it. It's going to be different than what we're mo- used to seeing most teams try to do. And so, you know... The, the 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 challenge will be a lot on Carl Anthony Towns. Can he be Al Horford ish? Not Al Horford, but can he be Horford ish? No, no, you know, no, no big ask. No, He's, yeah, you know, exactly, the, right? Yeah, exactly. But I think like that's you know they're going to demand a lot from him, um, and he believes he can do it. We will have to see how that goes. But I think Seth, like I'm sure there are a lot of Wolves fans on this call right now who have heard their team take a lot of arrows and hear a lot of the doubts about Rudy and hear, you know, how could you do this and how can you not? And I know that you are, in general, a Rudy uh, fan in terms of, like, and understanding his impact. So maybe, like, if if you could give your a little, just a little breakdown of what you think about Rudy in general and and what you think he brings and how you think he affects winning, just, like, so that... You know, these Wolves fans who have heard a lot of national people kind of doubt this, maybe hear from the other side of it on, on why you think it might work. So if Rudy Gobert is healthy and, like, he, he, you know, he, is, he is, he's not young, but he's not, like, at the point where you'd expect dramatic age-related fall-off. If, he's, if he is healthy and relatively the same player he has been, the Wolves have a top-10 regular season defense. Like, mm-hmm. it, it basically, with as, like... The defense that Utah put in front of him, like, who is the second-best defensive player in Utah? Royce O'Neal, probably. Yeah. Who is the right. third-best defensive player in Utah? Now you start to, like, you know, uh, Mike Conley in his younger days was a great defender. That's not the player he is anymore. So there's, like, one maybe slightly plus defender and three below average to terrible ones. And Utah was, a, was, a, was you know, in non-garbage time was a top-ten defense last year. And they were significantly better with Gobert on the floor than off. So, mm-hmm. you know, you have a top 10 defense because of mm-hmm. his, he is the, the single best rim protector in the league. He is one of the most effective players in the league, as you, you hinted at, at controlling the defensive backboard. So now, does that always translate perfectly to the playoffs? No. I mean, I think that, you know, regular season defender, I think he's probably the best in the league. Um, playoff defender, I don't think he's as good a playoff defender as Draymond Green. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean he's a bad playoff defender, it just means he's slightly less good. So and that's and again that's that's as much going to be a function of of the other players around him and for the Timberwolves having to worry about hey how is this guy going to defend in the second round of the playoffs um, right you'll take you know, that 
Yeah, that's yeah. Just getting to getting to that problem would be a, an upgrade. Now, if you're if you're if the question is was like getting to that problem worth the you know the future draft capital? That's a fair question. That's a fair. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, a little bit time will tell. I mean, it, it, it'll matter how well he and Towns mesh, um, how well he holds up injury wise. I think that you know reasons to worry about that is like the the history of of huge men holding up is. Mm-hmm. Not awesome. At the same time, like uh, one of the things that Gobert doesn't get a really enough credit for is, you know, his level of conditioning and intensity. Um, he's a guy like he, he like not many seven footers are, you know, the first guy up and down the floor. And Gobert right. has consistently been that for his career. So he's he's not someone who's going to break down because he does not keep himself in 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 good shape and does not work hard at it. So. Mm-hmm. Um, so then you're just, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're left with sort of the fit concerns. The fits with, with Towns isn't perfect. I think we can acknowledge that. And sure. then just, you know, he'll be mid to late thirties by the end of this deal when he's making, you know, high forties, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, even in a rising cap environment is a lot for a, you know, and what will be by that point an aging center. Um, so I think that's the, that's, I think that's the balanced that that's, I think my balanced, but slightly optimistic look at it sure yeah and that that all makes a lot of sense and i do think like you you know you you hit on a key point in terms of one of the things that they looked at when they made this deal and decided to pay this premium for him was that they looked at the roster as it was constructed and looked at the western conference with Kawhi and zion and dame lillard and you know, all these guys coming back from injuries and, and the West only getting tougher. And they had a hard time believing that the, the roster as constructed was going to be good enough to be back in the playoffs for sure. And one thing that they want more than anything is to make sure that Anthony Edwards sees as many playoff games as possible early in his career and that they don't turn into the Knicks a one and done. They don't turn into the Jimmy Butler Wolves, a one and done. And and then they miss out again. And so I think at minimum, what the Gobert uh, acquisition does is all but guarantee you that you're going to be in the playoffs, that you're going to get, you know, more high leverage games, barring injuries or catastrophes of any other kind. And so to be able to put a player who you think is eventually going to be the leader of your franchise in those high leverage situations is really important for them. And for a team that has been out of the first round of the playoffs one time in 33 years to get to the second round would be hanging a banner right now. And so I think they're just, they're, they're going for it. They're giving it that shot because they do not want to take a step backward in Anthony Edwards third season. That was so long. That one, that one progression out of the first round was so long yeah. ago. I lived in Minnesota at the time. <laughs> Two thousand four. Yeah, yep, absolutely. Yep. Was, uh, uh, get to a few more questions here. Uh, Abdul Rahman, uh, uh, thanks as always for listening. What do you got for us today? Hi, Seth. So, I don't. I like the trade, but I don't like the way it has been because Tim, uh, Minnesota looks like. Winning the trade but losing the negotiation. So how the Minnesota Minnesota guys looking at it and seeing the value of Rudy Gobert? Yeah, I mean, I think yeah, I I think that two things can be true um, here. One is that they overpaid for him, um, and that they that that is I I think the 
consensus around the league is that they paid too much to get Rudy Gobert. But two, I think, is that the impact that Rudy is going to make on the court is going to be very valuable and um, and and is going to work maybe much better than some people um, are are acknowledging or or really understand at this point. And so um, the the Wolves look at it as. Yeah, we paid a lot. We gave up a lot for him, but they were able to keep Jaden McDaniels out of the deal, which was really important. So I think they probably threw in at least one more first-round pick um, to, I, I, to I think compensate that for I, that. Would I would I feel good about trading a late first-rounder for Jaden McDaniels right now? If yeah, I, no. If that was a trade, I'd feel good about that trade. For sure, like, yes. If, exactly. I was, if I was on the side receiving McDaniels. Yep. Um, and so, yeah. And so what they have to do basically is I, I don't believe it's championship or bust for them, but I do think they have to be a consistent playoff team and maybe get deep enough in the playoffs several years in a row where those picks that they are conveying for the most part are in the twenties. Um, and if that happens, then you'll look back and say, totally, totally worth it. Um, if something happens, where injuries are, or just the fit is bad or it doesn't work and the, the, some of those picks are turning into lottery or high lottery picks, yeah, then you're absolutely going to have some regrets. But um, as of right now, they just believe that Gobert it really kind of ensures that a lot of those picks are going to be pretty low. And, and so they will end up, you know, giving up those bites at the apple because they have an elite player who, um, who, who covers up so many of their weaknesses. I'll I'll say that also like even even like sort of worst case scenario like I would you know ballpark it if there's a one chance in five that any of the picks they gave up becomes a player as good as Gobert is today. Oh yeah, it's, I'm probably lower than that. I mean, yeah, I mean Gobert's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, so. and so that's but it, 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 but again, you, you mean the, the back end of the deal? You look at you know some sure. downside. So yep. Okay, so even if even then, so I think that's so. Like the like the while the value is high, I I sort of the the worry is is almost more from my end would be almost that the opportunity cost of not having these these assets to use in another deal. Yes. To uh, I I don't know a suggestion I might make would be to get a more dynamic, possibly better defensive point guard. That's just you know you you know how I feel about the the the, the players involved. <laughs> yes. So, so that's right. Like, I think that's. If you look at their team, like if, if, you know, this is, this is since the trade happened, I was like, if Minnesota could trade D'Angelo Russell for Derek White tomorrow, like mm-hmm. that's a team that suddenly I'm like, yeah, let's, let's, mm-hmm. you know, let's, let's look at that. Uh, one, one, uh, one question for you, and then we'll get to another one uh, from Matt is, um, you know, uh, I'll sort of along those lines, do you foresee them, how much do you foresee them looking at like closing with Anthony Edwards at point guard? Like so, going with a you know an Edwards McDaniel's uh, Anderson yeah. Towns Gobert lineup or something like that. Yeah, like a supersized. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, I think it's possible. Um, you know, w- remember like in Game Six of the Memphis series last last year, must win. They actually closed with Jordan McLaughlin at the point guard, um, just because they liked the way that he was pushing the pace a little bit more, that he was running the offense a little bit more, and D'Angelo was just having a rough series. So Big Jordan McLaughlin um, fan here. So yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. So so there's that. Um, there's that option. There's also Anthony Edwards. I think that Chris Finch wants to see 
if, if there's a leap for Anthony Edwards to make in year three, and there obviously there is, but I, I think that people want to see more playmaking from him. Now, he is a good passer. I think he's a fairly willing passer, um, but he still has a lot of uh, room to grow in terms of recognizing, seeing the floor, finding teammates, really being a facilitator, a true facilitator of the offense. Um, and so if he does show that improvement and that maturation in year three and turns into, yeah, that, you know, point forward, point shooting guard, whatever you want to call it, and more of like more of a, a Luca-ish type of a weapon at the one, um, yeah, then I, I, I could see that. Um, Chris Finch has already shown that he has the guts to... Um, do something that might be, you know, politically uh, difficult in terms of you, you you put your max guy on the bench and you put a, a league minimum guy essentially in the in in the big spot there. And so, you know, could could that be another possibility for sure? If you need more defense on the floor um, and you need stops, uh, having having Kyle Anderson. And, and Edwards and McDaniels and, and, and others there instead of D'Angelo Russell absolutely would be something that I think that he would consider doing. Sure. Um, Matt, you want to unmute and, uh, and if you got a question for myself or John. Sure thing. Yeah, for, for both of you guys, I guess. I'm curious about the, uh, the Gobert fit on this roster relative to what it was last year. I think offensively, it's not really much of a change if you just replace Vanderbilt with Gobert as a, you know, pressure on the rim type of player. Defensively, though, is where I think it's it's a lot more interesting, where now you're you're kind of trading off Vanderbilt's Mr. You know, do it all. He can defend the perimeter, high energy, good rebounder. Replace that with the elite rim defender. You slide Towns over to the four. Last time I think he played the four was either his Kentucky days with Colley Stein or maybe with Taj Gibson on the roster. He's going to have to be, you know, scrambling, Xing out on the perimeter. You can't hide D'Lo now, maybe on opposing fours. I'm just curious how you, how you both foresee the fit on both sides of the ball, but specifically um, the defensive side. Thanks. So uh, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, go ahead, Seth. Go well, ahead. I was, I was just saying, offensive side. Like I've, I've heard the Vanderbilt comparison. Uh, Rudy Gobert is a much better offensive player than Jared Vanderbilt. Uh, a hundred times. Like better. this is this is like the just the the the. And this is this is maybe a little bit of, of like wanting a more dynamic point guard as well. Is is like his his role gravity um, is it, like like Vanderbilt was not a player you could you could you could throw the ball necessarily down low and expect you know great things to happen. Uh, Gobert shoots like you know, he doesn't shoot a lot, but he dunks everything, gets fouled seventy percent. Yeah, um, and he so he you know so much of Utah's offense. Which has been very good the last couple of years has been predicated on they don't have a lot of guys who can who can you know crack defenders off the dribble, but if they drew the second defender to Rudy on the roll, then all of a sudden it's it's you know Bogdanovich or Conley or or Joe Ingles before he got hurt like uh, playing off the catch against the closeout, and I think you can you can do a lot of things to to you know if, if, if say you 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 know you you station it so like Towns's man is, is maybe the the tag the help defender. On a, on a go bear pick and roll. Now Towns is catching the ball at the arc against a closing defender. Mm-hmm. Is, is, does that does that help your offense? So I think <laughs> I think the offensive fit is is reasonably straightforward to be to be to to be honest. Um, defensively, like uh, like interested in your thoughts, John. 
Yeah, so quickly on the offense, too, um, uh, if, if you look at, you, you have the, whatever you believe in terms of the investment in D'Angelo Russell, if it's too much, if it's not, if it's, it, it, you know, if he's overpaid, if, if that's a problem, that the, the, the simple mat fact is like having a role man like Gobert with D'Angelo in the pick and roll versus a pick and pop guy like Towns. It's a better fit for D'Angelo, so you have a chance to maximize Russell in a way that you didn't with Vanderbilt. Secondly, Gobert can really catch the ball. Like Vanderbilt, just it, he he does not have great hands, and and that was a problem for the Timberwolves' offense for quite a bit. And so so those will both be improvements um, on the defensive end. Yeah, I love Jared Vanderbilt. Like, I think that he did so many good things for this team energy-wise, versatility-wise, on both ends of the floor, and really kind of turned himself into a a good player in this league. But um, as great of a rebounder as Jared Vanderbilt is, he does most of his damage on the offensive glass. Outworking guys, crashing the boards, reading the ball off of the rim, and, and creating... Uh, extended possessions for the the Wolves' offense. Defensive rebounding, he is not as strong. And so um, that's where Gobert is going to be just an enormous upgrade over Vanderbilt, both in defensive rebounding and in rim protection. Um, and, and so to have like Gobert's presence there, to be able to finish possessions is going to be you know, a remarkable, remarkable upgrade. Now, yeah, they will have to figure out how to use Towns the best way they can. How to, what can you do with D'Angelo Russell to, um, to limit things. But, um, I think that they're pretty confident that they can figure out ways to, to make all of that work because the, the, the unit that they did have last season was, I think, finished 13th in the league in defense. And, they were able to do it with kind of some smoke and mirrors. Now they have like a legit stopper. And, um, and so I think that they're going to be able to kind of build something around Rudy in a way that, like Seth has said, it's, it's an automatic top 10 defense. And then if you can kind of figure out a few things to, to address some of those weaknesses that are created with Russell, maybe with Towns, and if you find a way to cover those up, the way that they found a way to cover up so many of their defensive weaknesses last year, um, now you're looking at you know top eight, top seven, and and see what you can do really do some damage that way. I, and I think it's it just it's going to be a um, I would suspect it's going to be a, almost a 180 in terms of uh, in terms of of sort of ethic. Um, yes. Last year you mentioned smoke and mirrors. I mean it was it was it wasn't smoke and mirrors. There's a lot of run and jump. And yeah, I think that's, um, and I think you can get to a certain point. I will say that I think that that's that the success of that probably tilts more towards having success against worse opponents, and um, and so now the pro- almost certainly a more conservative kind of perhaps even traditional scheme. Um, you know, are, are you know are they going to you know are they necessarily going to like you know be able to force twenty five turnovers from a like a you know, a, a, a rebuilding Houston or Orlando yeah. team? Eh, maybe not, but that probably gives them a better chance of not getting picked apart by, you know, uh, like by, you know, a Milwaukee or, or, mm-hmm. or, you know, someone else who's got, or, or Denver, someone who's got like, you know, good, good ball, good uh, playmaking and, and, and 
ball movement ability, which are the type, type of teams, which are also the type of teams you tend to play later in the playoffs that aren't, won't get as flustered by sort of a, oh my gosh, it's Jalen McDan- McDaniels uh, running and jumping at me while I'm already guarded, uh, panic, um, which, which, you know, works better against worse players. Right, for sure. And, and, and one other, like, legitimate thing that they will have to examine is, like, I, I do think that there is a belief right now that Anthony Edwards is ready to take on the responsibility of being a primary defender against the the best guys, the Hardens, the Lucas, like all those guys, and he wants to do that. But that's also a lot to put on a kid who also you're going to be expecting a lot from offensively. And, you know, one thing that was great about the way that their roster was constructed last year was that you had Pat Beverly, you had um, you had uh, Jared Vanderbilt who could guard, you know, one, two, three, four. Um, and, and so you, you had more bodies to kind of switch around and throw at these guys where, you know, maybe Kyle Anderson can help a little bit that way. Maybe, you know, Torian Prince can do a little bit more um, in terms of wing defending and things like that to take some of the pressure off. But you are kind of making an assumption that Anthony Edwards is really ready to step up and become a, like a top flight defender in the league. And, um, and th- that's a lot for any third year player, let alone one that's going to be asked you to probably st- to score in the mid twenties and, um, and carry your offense as well. I mean, I, I, I'll get to Sean's question in a second, but I mean, if you're, if your path to title contention is Anthony Edwards becomes a top 10 player. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you're, we're asking a lot of him. Yes. We're asking, we're asking yeah, the number one overall pick. pick. Yeah. 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 So, yep. so yes, that's like, you know, that, mm-hmm. Like or ask you know to whom much is given, much is expected, kind of thing. Good point. Uh, uh, a question from Sean. Then I think I want to get uh, move off of Gobert and get kind of towards the uh, the shakeup upstairs, I guess, mm-hmm. in, in Minnesota. So Sean, if you want to unmute and uh, and question for myself or, or John. Hey guys, yeah, um, thanks for taking my question here. Um, it's kind of a general, broader question for both of you, um, but. It seems like, just from my perspective, and John, you kind of already touched on this a little bit, the the national conversation, the, the nicest way I could put it is it's very shallow in its analysis. <laughs> um, you know, I was just watching through the Hoop Collective with Tim Bonteps, Brian Windhurst, and Tim McMahon, and, you know, they're not random commentators or anything. They're, they're pretty knowledgeable on it, and when they were – Talking about, you know, the Minnesota Timberwolves as winners here in the offseason, you know, as they're kind of going through the pluses and minuses of everything, you know, some of the things they were talking about that other executives were saying that I've heard kind of similar things elsewhere is, you know, basically really questioning the the long-term impact of this trade here. And the comparison that was provided by Brian Windhurst was, the Celtics Nets trade of KG and Paul Pierce. And you know, they, they did acknowledge oh, well, those yeah. guys were a lot older, but they yeah. gave up more as if to say like there's more downside here on this trade because of that. Um, so it's just been really strange for me to, to see all that kind of conversation. Cause when I see other content creators, you know, just random people on you know Twitter and YouTube and everything, they'll note like, Jay McDaniels was the best uh, wing defender at the rim last year as a second-year player. Um, you know, and less so off the ball, but on the ball, he's usually pretty good. 
Um, so kind of that, that broader conversation about how does Rudy fit on the team offensively and defensively, it just seems like there's a lot missing there that I wish was talked about more because you know, whether it's pick and roll with D'Lo, you know, on that podcast, they're saying, oh, yeah, we should still trade D'Lo. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, what are you guys talking about? D'Lo with Rudy is like a perfect fit. Like, that's he's the happiest he's ever been probably with that. It just, I don't know, maybe I'm just ranting here. Sorry, no. but it just is really strange. No, it's it's understandable just because, like, I think that, that there's no player who the disconnect between, like, a discourse and impact. And I, I would say this is, like, his, you know, number one champion. Um, but the, the 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 disconnect between impact and discourse on Gobert is wild to me, and I, I sort of understand it. He's a guy who's not like he doesn't get buckets, and he's he's foreign. So like, <laughs> like that's and that and so for whatever reason, people have decided they don't like him, mm-hmm. and and so it's just like there's never the, the like the the uh, and I guess the third thing is his role involves like. He'll get dunked on sometimes. Now, Alonzo Mourning never got clowned the same way that, that Gobert seems to when he got, you know, you go back and look at like, Vin, you know, the, what's, the, what's the button on a Vince Carter career retrospective is him cocking it back and dunking over Mourning. But that mm-hmm. didn't become a defining thing for, for Mourning the way that, that like, you know, ooh, Terrence Mann did this to, to, against the Jazz has been for, for Gobert. Yeah, and I, I do think like, so for, let's go two things on like the KG Paul Pierce thing. Well, first of all, like KG and Paul Pierce were on their last legs. Like they had nothing left. And, and so, yeah, was that irresponsible for Brooklyn to do? Yeah, it was. Rudy Gobert, while he is not 24, is still firmly in his prime. And how much more of the prime that we have, we'll see. But, he is, he's 30 years old and still playing at an elite level. Um, and, and so, so that's different. Um, the second part is like when you give up a, a, a package of this size and significance for a player like this, you think, okay, it's, it's to come in and really be like the number one guy on your team. And they already have Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Edwards. And D'Angelo Russell, to a degree, like uh, occasionally can step in and fill that role. But like, like they don't need Rudy to come in and get buckets. They don't need him to carry an offense. They need him to do what he does at an incredibly elite level and 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 keep doing that. So they're not going to be asking him to run the show. And and so there is there maybe there's a lack of recognition of the talent that is around him that has that means that there's going to be less placed on his shoulders maybe than there would be on a, if they traded for James if a, a team trades for James Harden if a team you know trades you know if the Knicks trade for Donovan Mitchell he's going to have the ball in his hands all of the time and and so you'll look at it in a different way but but I just think that just understanding what is already here and exactly what help they need and how perfectly he fits in terms of the help that they need is just not, it's not being given you know, the, 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 the consideration that it needs to be given. Yeah. It's, it's just been really wild to me. Some of the stuff here. Cause I mean, the, I get the fit questions. Like those are, 
reasonable and, and understandable, especially on defense. But like suggesting that the Wolves should still be trying to trade D'Lo when he was at his best in Brooklyn with Jared Allen running pick and roll and Root, that's what Rudy's best at on offense is, is just really strange to hear from these, you know, other national outlets that are supposed <laughs> to be hoop specific. You know, they're not just yeah. random. They're, they're people that really try and, and study this to some extent. Well, um, I, I think they should try to trade D'Lo because I don't think he's that good. That's mm-hmm. like it's, it's like okay. it's not a I mean, it's not a it's not a fit thing. It's just like I think that they like to, to get where they want to as a team. I think they just need to have a better player in that position, like fit aside. So that's you know that you, you can agree like you know agree disagree like that's you know the the evaluate the player how you evaluate them. But I think I think there you, you can you can. Like the making silly judgments about fit versus like you know I you know I did I did the player tiers and I had like Russell as like a top one hundred borderline player. That's fine. That's good for for a championship level team. You probably want better than that at point guard. Yeah, and I would say the one th- to me like the 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 reason that I agree with you, Matt, in terms of like I think it's I think. It, if if D'Angelo Russell is going to be a really good player in this league, ha- playing with a guy like Rudy Gobert is the circumstances sure. under which it will happen. Yeah, that's right. Um, and so so that I, I see why you would want to explore that and and see exactly what that looks like. Um, though to me, the reason that you would look to trade him is as much financial as anything else, because like with Rudy here. With you know sucking up so much of the the salary cap, and with Towns making what he is, and Edwards is going to eventually get a max, um, Jaden McDaniels is going to have to get paid. Like all of these, you, you're you're going to be skyrocketing past the luxury tax very quickly, and and so to have Russell, you know, on a contract, and I don't know what the final number would be to keep him around. If it's twenty five million, if it's less than that, if it's more than that. Whatever it's probably not tenable for the long term. You can do it for another year or two before you have to start paying Anthony Edwards, but that's just where you run into the math problem with Gobert in the fold. Whereas if they had went and got Miles Turner or you know a- another player of that ilk who isn't making forty some million dollars, um, you know later on in his contract, that would give them a little more flexibility. And so, you know, that's just another thing to factor in as you're kind of mapping out how the next three to four years look like versus the next one to two. But I, I, I am intrigued, I will say, by what I think that you know, Rudy Gobert could do for D'Angelo Russell in terms of maximizing whatever it is that he is capable of doing. Yeah, I mean, the, the points are taken on D'Lo's limitations, um, whether it's, you know, defensively or other parts of his fit. Um, it's just... I don't know how they're going to trade him and improve at the point guard spot because yeah, his easy. value is not not easy, not yeah, where it should yeah. be versus his contract. So when they're saying, "Oh yeah, we can trade him and get something better," it's like, well, what assets are they going to yeah. part with to make that happen? Right? It's yep. their kid's kind of a sunk cost at this point where they just I don't know how you can facilitate that to to improve, and so you're probably just better off keeping him. You know, depending on the salary that he requests, you know, that will factor in. But it just seems like he's a better fit to stay than whatever possible trade value he has. No, that, 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 that's totally fair. And that, that sort of gets back to um, what, what we said earlier, what I said earlier about, like, the, the sort of the quote-unquote, the, the over-expenditure on the Gobert trade 
hurts more in in terms of not being able to to facilitate the next deal rather than being a problem in and of itself. Uh, th- thanks for the question, Sean. I think that's actually you getting into John. You getting into sort of the contractual stuff is a ham-handed but still natural segue into the uh, you know some of the changes at the top about you know, who's making those decisions. Um, you know, first of all, I guess you know that like since we we started with luxury tax, like what is the what is new ownerships like? You know, uh, I mean, I think that that we've talked before about this, but this is a a, a group that has not been ex- afraid to spend money kind of behind the scenes on the team. Um, what what do you think their appetite for the luxury tax is? And it and and it's not just willingness to pay, by the way, for a team that's not championship level yet. There's also sort of some uh, some mechanical uh, obstacles to, to improving your team once you're in the tax. So it's not it's not strictly a, you know, saving rich guy money question. Yeah, right. It, yeah, so I would say, like, right now, I, what Mark Laurie and Alex Rodriguez have done is shown that, you know, they're going to be aggressive. They're, you know, spending a bunch of money on Tim Connolly. They're, they're okaying and greenlighting, you know, spending a bunch of uh, – uh, equity or investment on Rudy Gobert and and setting this team up to eventually be a tax paying team, and I think like as new owners they're very excited like as new owners always are, and so they just want to build excitement. They want to win games. They want to be looked at as as owners who are making a a tangible difference in the way that this organization has been run and that they're producing things that are going to help this team kind of ascend to a platform or a plateau uh, that the Wolves have rarely been to uh, on in the, in the NBA. And so they're very go-getter, very like, let's go, let's go, let's go. I don't under, I don't think that maybe there is a full realization of the consequences of paying the tax yet in their eyes, Seth. I mean, you know, as you, as you were alluding to, it's not a, just a, merely about the checks that you're writing and how expensive it is to pay that bill, but it's also, um, you know, in terms of the the mechanisms in place where you cannot, you know, your mid-level exception is a lot less money. You are not accept. You're not getting that. Um, you know, the the revenue sharing. You can't. There are certain you know things you cannot do in terms of signing players and. And, and, and all of these things that limit your ability to add talent to the roster. And I, I don't know that they're fully versed in that yet. Um, just because they're still fairly new here and that, you know, they, they, they you, it's almost like you have to get to that point and really experience it and see it right in front of you before you kind of comprehend the gravity of the whole situation. Now, if this team, develops and clicks and gets to a point where they are a championship contender, well, then it, I don't think that there's any you know, question. You just go and you do it while that window is open and then you recalibrate down the road a little bit. Um, but if this is a team that does sort of cap out at maybe second round of the playoffs or something like that and, and, and you start to realize that, okay, this has been fun and nice to... to establish the Timberwolves as a as a team that can get deeper into the playoffs than they ever have um and and that's worth paying for right now but it may not be worth paying for over the long haul so all that is to say is that I think that they are spending very aggressively both on the team and behind the scenes to sort of like inject some energy into the place 
but uh, uh, I, you know, I don't know that they they are fully aware of all of the the things that are involved in becoming a luxury tax team. And I think they will as as the next year and a half progresses toward them taking full of full control. They just need a little more time to to figure that out. Sure. Uh, Ted, you've been waiting patiently for a question. You want to ask that, and then we'll get specifically to, to Tim Conley. So, yeah, to stay on the kind of the piece about con- contractual issues and things like that in the future, three or four years down the line, don't you think, um, John, specifically, the, the front office kind of took in mind about the new TV deal that's going to take place in 2024 and the timing that's going to happen with Anthony Edwards' extension, Jane McDaniel's extension, that those things are going to happen right beforehand. And when that salary cap spike comes up, the luxury tax won't won't be as hard, like that range won't be as harsh as it looks right now. Um, did did you hear anything about that and what that thinking was going into the Go Bear trade and what they're thinking about you know a few years down the line? Yeah, I, I do think that that factors in somewhat. Now that's a little bit you know dangerous to kind of you know bank on that, but I think everyone in the league really is anticipating that. Yeah, the, that the cap is really going to go way up, that the luxury tax threshold is really going to go way up. And so in some ways, you know, signing towns to the big uh, extension that they did right now, um, having Gobert under contract, probably getting Edwards done before that TV deal will kick in will be advantageous to them um, in terms of roster building, in terms of how that looks. Um, I, I think that there's probably going to be a lot of discussion in terms of how that cap surge is implemented remember last time around it, it, won't, be the, the it will not be the spike it will not yeah, be the spike exactly and so how that looks i think is still uh, up for discussion and so you don't want to put you know too much faith in in all of that but i do think that the long term yes that there is an optimism that hey right now this looks incredibly daunting and like man we're putting a whole lot of uh, investment, especially into our front court in a in a league that's kind of dominated by wing players, and is this is this going to be able to work out? But there is going to be, I think, an expectation of more breathing room as you know as we get into twenty twenty five and twenty six and twenty seven that that could be helpful to them. But really, I do think that ultimately they made this deal you know believing that this is really going to help them be incredibly competitive over the near term while we're still in the existing CBA and that's the priority for them and the precedent more so than looking long term and and the ability to kind of adapt on the fly that way. I mean give or I mean give or take even even if the even as the cap rises, um, assuming they get Edwards and McDaniels done to to, you know, about the numbers we think they might, they're still looking at one thirty, you know, give yeah. or take for yeah. for those for the four those four players. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, before you know, before you worry about another contract for McDaniel's or whoever else you you, you trade for. So this is going to be like, you know, the like the number might might come down, but the sort of the um, team building uh, handbrake of the luxury tax is probably still baked in. For even, sure, even with even with the uh, the additional like the you know the additional cap space, the additional. Space under the under the tax apron. Uh, th- thanks for the question, Ted. Uh, now, so let's uh, and, and and Charlie, I see you waiting. Let let want to get to uh, Tim Conley for a little bit, and then uh, uh, bring my my uh, fellow Wisconsinite on to uh, discuss things. But um, 
so Tim Conley has, has come in. He's some people have moved in. Some people have moved out. Um, you know, what can you tell me about that? Is is, is Sachin Gupta staying? I mean, that's that seems like that's the big that's the big sort of shoe that hasn't dropped, or or the news that hasn't really. I don't. I don't. Frankly, I don't think I've heard really anything publicly about you know his his spot in the organization as they've added not just Conley but a lot of other kind of fairly well established people in the league you know, under yeah, Conley. Right. Yeah. So yeah, Conley hired Matt Lloyd from Orlando, very well thought of, highly respected. Yep. Um, they he they he also hired Dell Demps, former New Orleans GM, Utah coach, all those things. Another guy that's well thought of around the league. Um, I think that you know Tim is continuing to look at other people to fill out his staff a little bit, especially now that Joe Branch has left um, as for his assistant GM spot and is headed to um, to WME and, and BDA back into the agent world, which is where he came from a few years ago. Um, but yeah, Sachin Gupta has been kind of quiet uh, so far, in, which, which is his sort of default. which is his way. Yes. Yeah. Um, my impression is like, I think all of that is still kind of to be determined. Um, you know, he obviously wanted to be the number one guy, uh, after, after stepping in for Gerson Rosas last year and doing a good job, kind of steering the ship through, through all of last season, he was hoping that, that they would, that the Wolves would, would give him the number one job and he'd be able to run this. They obviously went with a more established name in Tim Connolly and well thought of one. And so I would say that almost in almost any scenario, when you're paying the kind of money you do to a, a, a president of basketball operations like they are to Tim Connolly, generally those guys come in and they clean house and they bring in their whole new staff and, and, and just go that way. I don't think that's the case here. Um, Tim is well known for being a guy who is super open-minded, who likes to work with all sorts of different people, finds common ground with 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 all with different people. I don't think he feels threatened by anybody who is, you know, on the staff that he's inherited. Sachin Gupta, Manny Rohan. There's a bunch of guys. Greg Farnham. You know, not to mention the entire coaching staff is all under contract um, for him. And and but but Tim is is kind of going with the flow here a little bit, and so I think that there's an openness on Tim's part to working with Suchin because they they really think you know highly of his analytics background of 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 the job that he's done and just the general person he is. He's a super nice guy and and easy to work with that way. And I do think that you know Suchin probably would see it as. You know, I, I think that there's an there's an opportunity for him to have a voice here and to still have input and influence in the situation if he wants to stay. That's going to be a, his own decision to make on you know whether he wants to stay and be you know kind of a, a in a supporting role or if he you know wants to go elsewhere and 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 try and find a different spot. But at, you know right now in the NBA calendar, there's not a lot of high-profile positions available around the league. So I wouldn't be surprised if he stays, at least for this year, and then just sees how it goes, see how that partnership goes and, and, and develops. And, and I could see him staying here for a long time in a supporting role, or maybe after a year he looks around and say, hey, you know what, um, this, is, this is nice, but I, I kind of you know, have my eyes set on something bigger um, 
and and maybe he looks for an opportunity that would become available if you know someone else gets fired and 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 jobs open up. So all that is to say that I think it's it's still in flux. Um, but I I do think that there's a real chance that at least for the next season he is here working hand in hand with Tim Connolly, and then they develop it and see how it works you know, over this next year before any long-term decisions are made. Sure. And of course, like the, the best way for, for him to get those opportunities is if the Wolves are really good this year. Exactly. That's, yeah. That's hundred percent. Yeah. If they how, win 50 games. Yeah. If they win 50 games this year and, and, and get, you know, get to the second round of the playoffs, it's a lot easier to hire uh, someone from, from this staff to run your operations from a, from a team that didn't do so well, you know, as opposed to trying to hire someone you know, who just coming off of one forty six win season and, 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 and a first round playoff loss or, or, or anything like that. So, um, you know, that they could help each other definitely, um, you know, depending on how all that works out. Sure. Uh, uh, Charlie's been waiting patiently. Let's get to his question and then, uh, then, get, then get you out of here, John. Hey, fellas, John, I want to take you back in time to when you covered one of my favorite, uh, players of all time, Mr. Nikola Pekovic. Yeah. 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 Loved him at loved him at Partizan. I looked before he even came over. Loved him at Partizan. Loved him at Panathinaikos. I'm just. I want to know if you have any pec stories. Did you ever bump into him like after hours when he's out with Darko somewhere? And have you kept up with uh, his post playing career, which may or may not include membership in the Balkan Mafia? I was just yeah. So yeah, I mean uh, Charlie Peck, one of my all time favorite guys. You know, he came here from uh greece and uh you know he's this big hulking dude and he has this these menacing tattoos and you're looking at him you're like man this is one bad dude like i'm intimidated by him me i'm five seven like i you know so i'm i'm always giving up all sorts of height and weight to all these guys but but peck in 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 particular was a guy that looked like a, a bond villain you know um and and so you're like what's this guy going to be about but then here, while he was in Minnesota, couldn't have been nicer, a big teddy bear of a guy, like he would joke and laugh with you, like if there's any players who brought their kids around in the locker room, he they were always climbing all over him, and he was kind of a favorite that way, um, you know, just like a, a guy who loved life, I, I, was, I would, you know, back then I was a younger guy, so I was out on the town a lot more, and I would bump into him and, you know, he's a guy who could, you know, drink a bottle of vodka, you know, uh, by himself on a night and not even really be that phase just because he's so huge. He's just a massive human being, but like couldn't have been more accommodating for us. And he was really fun to watch on the court as well. Like before he got hurt, he was he was a real factor for them. And Ricky Rubio made him a lot of money running those pick and rolls. Um, But since then, yeah, like I've seen all the rumors and innuendo about what he has done in you know Serbia and Montenegro and his post uh playing career and you I even will talk to players who knew him and, and other people in the NBA who knew him and just say hey do you hear much about how Peck is doing and it's kind of quiet like no one wants to say anything which would imply that maybe there is you know maybe he's into something um a little nefarious I hope not um but you know, I know he was a huge deal back then, um, back home, and he went home with a lot of money. And who knows how that worked out? But I just, I wish nothing but the best for him because I feel like even if I were 
over there now and bumped into him, I think he'd give me a big hug and we'd have a drink and, and, and have a great chat about, about the old days. So I hope he's okay. I hope he doesn't get in any real trouble and with the wrong crowd. But, uh, but I've heard, I've seen the same things you have. I, I can't confirm it, but I think people have kind of looked at that and said, uh, you know, uh, might, might, might've gone, gone the other way with it. So I just keep my fingers crossed for that guy. So uh, just as expected, we're ending with uh, with uh, Nikola Pekovic talk. So that's, <laughs> no question. That's, yeah, that's, absolutely. Uh, as I promised you, uh, we, <laughs> that's, that's where we end up. Uh, John, you know, thanks a lot for for uh, for for taking the time to to join me and and for being patient as I worked out my own uh, my own travel issues and such like that. Um, I'm sure we will uh, check in again as this experiment uh, uh, actually starts to unfold. Uh, we actually get to play, you know, when the games actually start, and we get to see how this this works, and not how you know how many future draft picks were sacrificed <laughs> to 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 bring it to fruition. Absolutely, thanks, man. It's always a pleasure to come on, and yeah, like it, it's whether they're good or not, um, it, it's going to be really, really interesting, and that's yeah. all I can ask for. And I do think you're right. Once it gets on the court, and you can kind of see it, I think people will have their eyes opened a little bit. So. Good times. Uh, appreciate it. And I can't wait for the next one. So, All right. Uh, thanks a lot for listening, folks. Uh, I am uh, back tomorrow night with um, sort of – it's going to be a one-for-me pod. Uh, my wife is going to come back on, and we're going to discuss the uh, great Las Vegas Summer League road trip. So uh, if, you have, if you have questions for the infamous at Meister on Twitter, uh, either you know, hit me on Twitter with them or tune in tomorrow, tomorrow evening. Uh, talk to you all then. Thanks a lot.